This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, uh, one of the pastors of the Axis Church. Uh, Thank you for joining us uh, during our live stream this morning. And thank you um, to all those who are helping with this, from the AV team to musicians to Pastor Brooks. Thank you so much. Go ahead and grab a Bible uh, to follow along with us and turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Um, Today uh, is week 92 in our study and our journey through uh, the book of Luke, a series that we've entitled The Real Jesus. Uh, We've committed ourselves to this particular book of the Bible in order to get more of a complete picture, um, an understanding of who Jesus was and is and will be. According to Luke, uh, Luke, who was um, a a Christian, uh, he was a doctor, a highly educated man, and a very respected historian during his day. And so he wrote this to give a historical account to a guy named Theophilus. Uh, He wanted Theophilus and all the readers of this to know and have certainty about the things that they've heard concerning Jesus Christ. And so this is what we're wanting to do as a church family. And we started this over two years ago, uh, not knowing where we would be today. Uh, But today we are in Luke 21. Well, in our passage for today, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Um, He's in the temple, or he's not very far from the temple. Uh, He's certainly within an eye's look uh, to the temple teaching. And many people have surrounded him. Uh, Many people have surrounded him following what had just taken place as he has just finished up rebuking merchants who had set up um, money-making schemes to make personal profit in the temple of the Lord, in in the, the church house. And he comes in, flips over the tables, and declares it to be his house, uh, that it's to be used for prayer and worship to the Lord as intended by God and not to be a den of thieves or a house of robbers. So he's essentially reclaimed the temple, and he's teaching there uh, at least three or four days leading up to his arrest uh, and his death on the cross. And then chapter 20 is all about the teachings that Jesus has there in the temple. Well, this morning, the title for the sermon for today is The End of the World Prepared, Not Scared. The End of the World Prepared, Not Scared. If today's portion of scripture came to us only two months ago, we would only be partially concerned, maybe somewhat intrigued and interested. But since the COVID-19 virus has been declared a global pandemic, consuming our attention, consuming our worry, I imagine and I've been praying and hoping that we'll be much more interested in this particular teaching of Jesus regarding the end of the world, his thoughts on the end of the world. I'm convinced that we're going to listen more carefully than if this were preached back in November. Our lives, our world, our situation has all been transformed and something about everything has changed because of this virus. But we have this today. We have week 92 in the Gospel of St. Luke where we're considering truths given to us by Jesus that are extremely pertinent to our situation. So let's address our anxiety about our situation with God's word. Let's see what Christ has to say about it all. 
I love the, the late Martin Lloyd-Jones, what he said. He says, what God is permitting in the world today is related to his great purpose for his own church and kingdom. Let us not therefore be stumbled when we see surprising things happening in the world. Rather, let us ask, what is the relevance of this event to the kingdom of God? What is the relevance of this event to the kingdom of God? How on earth, how in the world could God be using this in this time for his purpose? Well, with this in mind, we come to our passage for today. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. We've got Luke chapter 5. We're going to get some work in. We've got some heavy lifting today, okay? So get comfortable. Kids, be on your best behavior from your mommy and daddy to pay attention, okay? Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5. And while some, while some were speaking of the temple, again, I believe they're in the temple or very near the temple, uh, they were speaking about it, how it was uh, adorned with noble stones. Uh, they were complimenting the majesty, the grandeur of such a building. Jesus says, as for these things that you see, this very impressive temple, these stones that you're pointing out and describing, it's certain, it's absolute. The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and demolished. Well, in this day and age, the temple would have seemed unshakable. It would have seemed solid. It would have been immovable. Massive stones, the largest all around. The temple would have been the strongest, most glorious of all buildings in Jerusalem. And Jesus says the days will come. Jesus runs with this idea through the rest of this chapter. The rest of this time he spends there in the temple unpacking these days that will come. That's most certain. They ask him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are to take place, about to take place? Well, that's a great question. This is a question that we should all be asking. And quite frankly, I believe this is what we're already asking when we consider the day and age of what's going on around us today. This question is asked, I believe, in part so that they could validate this claim. Like, how can we know this? But also that they might be able to prepare for this moment if he's right. When will this happen? What's a sign of its nearness? It, the end. Like, like, how can we know it's getting close? How can we know you're telling the truth? Well, preparation for the end, preparing for the end of the world, is at the heart of the teaching of Jesus here in this particular passage. And then this is his extensive reply. This is his answer that Jesus gives, starting in verse 8. And he says, see that you are not led astray. See that you are not deceived. See that you are not tricked. See that you're not caused to wander. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Do not go after them. Jesus starts out by saying, don't be led astray. Or as we like to say here at the Axis, don't drift. Be so very careful. Fight this drift. Be grounded. This echoes Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Jesus says, know the truth about this. And don't be led astray as the end draws near. Be grounded, rooted, and ready. 
And part of preparing his followers is warning them of false messiahs and false teachers and lunatics who claim to know when the end will be. Jesus says, don't go after them. Don't fear what they're going to say and pay no attention. Give them no ear. Give them no time at all. And there's been so many people predict the end of the world. 1959 was a significant failed prediction. A lot of us uh, know well of Jim Jones back in 1967. I remember as a little boy hearing of the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, a book by Edgar Wisnett. And you can get a copy online for $93.98 and it's considered new. I'd be skeptical. Of course, we remember uh, Y2K, many people thinking it's the end of the world. Most recently, a guy, Harold Camping, has predicted the end of the world. Most recent prediction was October 21st, 2011, which was his 12th attempt at declaring the end of humanity. Jesus says, yes, the end of the world is coming. Yes, the time is at hand. It's happening. Though not even Jesus himself knows exactly when. And though scripture teaches us not to predict the end, many have used the very Bible to predict the end. And Jesus says, don't do this. Jesus says, don't listen to these people. Don't be led astray. Don't listen to the one saying, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. The end of the world is happening today. He says, don't get frantic. Don't panic. Don't be fearful. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the very Son of God. Don't get played. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus goes on to say that things are going to get a lot worse as the end draws near. He doesn't say things are going to get better. Contrary to many predictions of advancement and development and improvement, Jesus says quite the opposite. Verse 9, when you hear of wars and revolts and rebellions or tumults, do not be terrified. Do not be frightened for these things must first take place. But even then, the end will not be at once. It won't happen immediately. Trouble, wars, fights, disagreements, diseases, pestilence, pandemics. Friend, Jesus is telling us the truth. Listen to Jesus today. He assures us the end of the world is certain. You will not be able to stop this from happening. And then you will face almighty God. Mark 13 tells us that God has determined an end of the world and only God the father knows, but God does know. The world is set on a timer and it will expire. There's a time limit when all this is going to end. There's a countdown. It's definite. Nothing will stop this. Friend, this is true because mankind has fallen into sin. Adam, at the very beginning, with his wife Eve and us here today, we all die as a consequence to our sin. All of creation dies and decays. We rebelled, and now we're suffering the consequences of our rebellion. Now it's no longer true progress. Rather, it's decay. Things get worse. Things naturally get worse, though it wasn't originally to be this way. But it's this way because of our sin and God's judgment upon sin. Jesus says all this is part of God's necessary and unavoidable plan. And yet when you see all this happening more and more, that doesn't mean that it's imminent, but it does mean that it's drawing much closer. He continues in verse 10. He says to them, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be uproars. There's going to be wars. There's going to be mass disturbances, intense fighting brutal battling. On September 2nd of 1945, 
World War II ended. Since then, do you know how many months of peace we've had on earth? Do you know how many months we've had of no wars going on around the world? 26 days. Not even one month of peace since September 2nd, 1945. Friend, this is happening. The end isn't far away. And regardless, the end is near for all of us. For me, I know it's within the next 40 years or so. But are you ready for this? Continuing on, Jesus says in verse 11, there's going to be great earthquakes. And in various random places, there'll be famines and pestilences. You know what that word means? Pandemics. Part of what we're experiencing today around the world, right now, in your own community. Plagues. There will be terrors. There will be awful things happening. And there'll be great signs from the sky. Great signs from the heavens. Wars, conflicts, earthquakes, famines, fires, tsunamis, viruses, pestilences, plagues, terrors, pandemics, great signs and wonders, decay and rot, destruction and division, more and more and more as the day of the Lord gets closer. And now Jesus prophetically teaches his disciples and followers that as their particular lives draw to a close there around year 33, somewhere around there when this originally was spoken, he tells them that they're going to personally experience what the world is experiencing globally. Not only is the world experiencing cataclysmic disasters, but these first century followers of Jesus, they too will experience personal disasters and calamities. And so the way that I understand this passage moving forward through chapter 21 is Jesus is bouncing back and forth a bit between speaking of the destruction of the temple, which did happen about four decades later, uh, year 70, but then also he's bouncing back to speaking of the destruction of the world, which is the day of the Lord when his kingdom will be fully realized and experienced, which is the day that we anticipate. We long for that moment when he does return. Here Jesus, though, in verse 12, is directly addressing those listening in year 30, 33, somewhere on in there. He says, but before all this, speaking here specifically to this original audience, they will arrest you. They're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. Friend, this happened. Jesus tells the truth. All the disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, the traitor who hung himself after receiving the 30 pieces of silver and then throwing them back to the feet of Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin out of the guilt that he was experiencing. All except Judas Iscariot ex experienced this very thing. Among the 11, they were crucified, they were stabbed, they were speared, they were burned, and they were boiled. They were each one martyred for Christ. I think back to Luke chapter six, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice when that happens. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets Jesus says, when this sort of thing takes place, leap for joy. And then playing off this mentality and poise, he continues. He says this in verse 13. This will be your opportunity 
to bear witness. This will lead you to be able to bear witness, not your burden to bear witness, not your chance to run, not your chance to hide, not your chance to worry, not your inconvenience, not your obligation to bear witness, but your opportunity. This is a predetermined opportunity for you to testify, for you to say so, for you to bear witness to the truth, for you to open your mouth, open your heart and preach the word and tell people about Jesus. In that moment, testify of the gospel, gospel, tell the persecutors, tell the haters of your superior hope that goes far beyond this vapor quick lifetime. And don't be anxious. Don't worry about that moment, Jesus says. Don't even worry about what you're to say when that time comes. He says in verse 14, prepare today. Be fighting the drifting in this right now. Make up your mind now. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, which literally means hearts. Settle it in your heart, not to practice, rehearse, plan ahead, or meditate beforehand how you're to answer and defend yourself. But trust me, verse 15, trust me, for I will give you a mouth and and wisdom far beyond your own ability and capacity and education, far beyond your experience. I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries or opposers or haters will be able to oppose or withstand or resist or contradict. I will fill your voice with words of power that will not fail. As you face the end of the world, as you face the end of your life, as you face your fears, Ask God for the confidence that he gave his early disciples to fill your voice with words of power that will not fail. In that moment, Jesus tells his disciples that they are the very mouthpieces of God. They're prophets for him. And Jesus continues to teach of this opposition that will come to his followers, giving more specifics to what they can expect. He says, some of you will be betrayed And I imagine Judas was there right in front of Jesus when he's saying this. Some of you all will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be made fun of, persecuted. You'll be misunderstood and hated. You will be killed. One thing that you can say about Jesus is he never sugarcoated the truth. I love and I deeply appreciate the honesty of Jesus. He recruited, if you will, by telling the truth. He recruited by having his followers set free by the truth. He didn't recruit by hiding the truth or smoothing the edges off of the truth. Well, now following this, Jesus, he comforts the disciples by encouraging them. He tells them, but, and in spite of all this, not a hair of your head will be destroyed. Though you be burned alive, your hair will not be singed, not eternally. Christian, though you be hated, though you be persecuted, perhaps killed, you will never perish. Not even a hair of your head will be destroyed, not eternally. And Jesus says so. He says in verse 19, by your patient expectation, your steadfastness, your endurance, you will gain your lives. You will be saved through your, through your faithful trusting and hoping in the Lord, through your humble obedience to God and his word, through the great work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will find life in the end and not death in the end. Jesus says, finish this race. It's onward. It's not retreat. It's be of good courage and fear not. It's not be afraid and run. 
Verse 20, he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, again, speaking to his first century audience, which we know this happens in year 70, then know that it's desolation, it's emptiness, it's destruction has come near. He said these words around year 30 and prophetically know this took place exactly as he said in year 70. He said, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let let not those who are out in the country come back into the city. For these days are days of judgment and vengeance and punishment to fulfill all that is written. This is all part of God's strange providence. It's all part of his divine necessary plan that we know very little of. He says, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there'll be pressure and trouble and distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In April of year 70 AD, the Roman general Titus and others surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. This literally happened. Not a stone was left on another and all Jews scattered and the disciples were martyred. Jesus tells the truth. Friend, believe what Jesus says. And now Jesus looks forward here as he looks forward to the day that we long for, his glorious return. So this is back to where we are today. He says, there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, anguish and distress of nations in anxiety or perplexity. It's the word used for anxiety because of the roaring of the sea. And that word literally means the news, the reports. It's a strange way of saying it. Because of all that's happening in the sea, because of what you're hearing is going on in nature and the waves that are surging, people panicking, having anxiety and terror, fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, dreading what will happen the very next day, foreboding what's coming on the world, on mankind, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sky will totter. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. It'll seem that all things are completely falling apart. It will be like the sky is falling. Boy, if this isn't relevant to our situation. Our news reports, our TV, our Twitter, the state of humanity, completely out in a frantic. We're realizing just how fragile we are, aren't we? All that seems so dependable and constant, gone, shaken. So much commotion. A lot like the temple, I guess. My, how we need to receive and believe Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits. Even in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone, nothing else. He alone is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. All this destruction, confusion, fear, and trouble. Verse 27, and then, what a beautiful word. Then they will see the son of man arriving in a cloud with power, power, and great 
glory. Oh, how bad it's going to be. Oh, how bad it is. But then, Jesus. That is exciting. Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire on his head are many diadems and crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike and judge down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is telling his disciples and us, this is the end of the world, but it's the beginning of the new world. Therefore, verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, stand is what that means. Straighten up. When these things begin to take place, stand. When these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift your heads, raise your heads. Literally what that phrase means in the Greek is have courage. Have courage. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. Your deliverance from all this is near. Your salvation, your deliverance is drawing near. Straighten up. Don't be downcast. Lift your eyes. Raise your head. Don't hide. When I return, there's no need to run like Adam did in the garden. When you hear me coming, get excited the way that Adam used to be when he, before he rebelled. When these things happen, get straight up. Stand up. My return is near. This is living out Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God, my salvation. Lift your head. Look up like Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then Jesus explains the nearness of this moment through a parable, through an illustration. He says in verse 29, uh, look at this fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. We see this right now in Nashville. All around our, our country during this time is spring. Things are beginning to bloom and blossom. Know that, that summer is near. It's close. It's inevitable. So also, when you see these sorts of things take place, you wanted a sign, when will these things be? What's a sign of things, these things happening? This is your sign. This is how you're going to know they're taking place. When you see these sorts of things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is close. It's near. It's inevitable. But get excited. Get excited. Don't be afraid. Like, John, like Jesus said in John 16, I've said these things to you. That in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Oh, how this echoes Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed not on news, not on what's next, but whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Don't be anxious. Make ready. Be prepared. 
Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Now, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, the truth that I'm telling you will happen. My words will not pass away. I'm telling you the truth. Count on it. It's more certain than the most certain things you know. Now, up until this point, Jesus has been unpacking the what, sort of the end of the world, right? And that's relevant to us, but also some of the end of the temple, which was very relevant to the original audience. But now Jesus shifts his attention to what it was that he cared most about and what you and I, if discerning, we will care most about as well. The how, not the what, the what, the end of the world, yes. But now how, and to borrow a phrase from Francis Schaeffer, the how is meant by how should we then live? He says in verse 34, yes, the end is coming, but watch yourselves. Fight the drift. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. We don't use that word. What it means is sexual sin, carelessness, wasteful living, and apathy. Fight the drift. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness or gluttony and the cares of this life. Comfort, money, ease, sports, travel, busyness. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with these things and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, like a snare. You won't be ready. You see the cracker? but you don't see the trap. You see the bait, but you don't see the hook. You're being tricked. Jesus says, watch yourselves. You're getting too comfortable here. This isn't your home. Look out, don't get trapped. Don't get entangled. You're careless. You're being led astray. You're drifting. Be alert, Christian. Be on your guard. Pay closest attention to this. Because in verse 35, he says, For it will come upon all. The end of all time, the day of the Lord, this will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. This is unavoidable. This is inescapable. No one is exempt, regardless of their color, class, creed, religion, who they worship, what they pray to, who they pray to, how much they give. No one is exempt. You will experience this. Jesus will return and you will face him. It is certain this will happen. He says in verse 36, stay awake at all times. Be ready. Be fighting the drift. Be vigilant. Be on the lookout. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand or to straighten up before the Son of Man, to stand with the Son of Man, praying to have the strength to escape and to stand before Jesus. And every day, Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night, he went out and lodged on the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Jesus says this is going to happen. There is no need to stop fighting. There's no, there's no need to fight the stopping of the day of the Lord, the end of the world as we know it. There's no need to try to keep this from happening. What we must focus on, though, is being ready for this unavoidable reality. He says, don't be led astray. Don't be afraid. Lift your eyes. Straighten up. Raise your head and watch yourself. 
Don't get too attached to this present world and look out for the devil's trap. You'll do this in part by praying to have the strength to escape and to make sure that you're prepared to stand before Jesus. Now, this strength isn't in your own ability to hold the line, to dig deep, to white knuckle your way to endurance. This strength comes only from God. This strength to endure accompanies the spirit of God as he makes his way into the heart of the new Christian. When God takes you dead in your sin and he makes you alive, when he gives you life, his spirit guarantees your endurance. The needed strength comes from God. Like he tells us in Isaiah 41:10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Are you praying for this help? Are you praying for the strength? Are you praying to lean on his strength more than your own? I will uphold you, he says, with my righteous right hand. Also in Exodus 15, 2, says the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation This is my God, I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is my strength. This strength comes from our faith in God as described in Psalm 46. God is our refuge, God is our strength. He is a very present help in moments like this, in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Similar language to what Jesus is describing, isn't it? Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Like Nehemiah 8.10 tells us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Is this true for you? Isaiah 43 says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, he says this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Not a hair of your head will be lost for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel, your savior. This is our strength. This is our hope of endurance. Is this your hope? Is Jesus and the promises of God your strength? Are God's promises, like the ones that you've heard this morning, are, there, are, are the God's promises how you're going to face tomorrow? In what you've heard preached today, what, is this what you're leaning on as you try to stand during these volatile days? Are all your eggs in this basket? Is Jesus your ride or die? Will you stand with Jesus or will you be swept away in judgment? That's what it comes down to. Standing with him before him, this is your only hope. Don't be tricked. Herein lies your peace and your comfort in the midst of this damned world falling apart at the seams. How can you possibly stand before Jesus? How can you possibly stand with Jesus and not swept away? How on earth is that possible? Friend, that's the gospel. That's the very core message of the Bible. You trust and believe Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior. 
that he stood condemned in your place. Trusting in him and him alone is the only way you can stand before him. Believing that he stood for you in your place, condemned on the cross, suffering, dying, beating death for you. That's the only way that you stand. So pray to him and watch. Ask him for faith to believe him. Push the world away from you. Draw near to Jesus as the end draws near to you. As James 4 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're being tricked. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Friend, believe Jesus and look forward to the day when all things become entirely new. His return and the end of the world doesn't have to terrorize you. It doesn't have to cause you anxiety. The trouble that you read about doesn't have to lead you to great fear. You can look with joy into the days ahead. You can look with great anticipation at tomorrow. Christian, when Jesus returns, he's going to look you in the eyes and say, mine, mine, Yes, these terrible things are happening and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid. Look up, be of good courage. Christian, you're being redeemed. You're being redeemed. You're being rescued. Yes, you're having a hell of a time in this world, but don't be downcast. Look up, believe and stand. Remain steadfast, remain hopeful. Cling to the word of God. Passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Christian, in these days, cling not to the newspaper. Cling not to what's next. Cling to the word of God. Cling to Christ. Look to him. Run to the cross. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Cling to him. The only thing that's unshakable in these days of such shaking. During these days, now more than ever, we must hope in the Lord. We must set our soul's affection, our heart's attention on the Lord. We have to, Christian. We must trust in him. We must. My sweet friends, listen to Jesus. Hear his words. Receive his truth down deep in your soul. The world is trying to captivate your attention. It's trying to pull you over to the cares of the world. God wants you to consider your soul. He wants you to consider the state of your soul. Yes, we hear eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, we hear if it feels good, do it. That alone is being weighed down with the cares of this damned world. You must be thinking, how is my soul? Not how can I get more comfortable, but how is my soul? Asking yourself, am I focusing on what matters or am I in the middle of a snare and don't know it? It reminds me of a, how they used to capture wolves. They would take knives and dip them in blood, freeze it, dip it in blood, freeze it, dip it in blood, freeze it, and then fix it to a concrete base. And a wolf would come and begin to lick off this knife and lick the blood off the knife. And the, the frozen blood would numb the tongue. And the, the wolf continues to lick and lick and lick and lick until it just falls over dead because it's been drinking from its own heart. Being tricked like a trap and a snare. Are you being tricked? Are you being fooled? Friend, you will have to face God. You will. Hear this, know this, and be prepared for this moment. Don't be led astray. Don't let this slip up on you. Don't let it come upon you like a trap. You've heard this for 2,000 years in this sacred text. Don't let it surprise you. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. He's saying, watch. 
Will you stand with Jesus or will you be swept away? Will it be depart from me, I never knew you? Or will it be enter into your rest? What matters most is whether we're certain that we'll stand with Jesus on that day and not be swept away in eternal judgment. You gotta believe him. Jesus says, if you believe me that I'm God's son, that I've come to save you, taking your punishment for you, that I've come to die for you, to reconcile you back to God the Father, then you've got nothing to worry about. You've got nothing to fear. When I come, you'll stand before me. When I arrive, I'll recognize you and I'll say, come, you blessed of the Lord, enter into your rest. A banquet is prepared for you. But if you don't believe Jesus, if he is not your soul's hope and trust, you will hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. Though you planted a church, never knew you. Though you gave money to nonprofits, though you helped in such humanitarian aid, never knew you. Because you didn't believe Jesus. Do you belong to him? Do you believe him? He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, all those who are overwhelmed and anxious, listen to Jesus, listen to him. He says, come to me, I will give you rest. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to give my life as a ransom. Friend, as we look out to our world, we must look most towards the Lord. We must also be looking within, watching ourselves. Much more than watching the news, watch yourself. Jesus says the end will come and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But then he says, don't worry about when it's going to happen, but be prepared for when it does. Be ready always. Pray and stand. We must figure out how to stand at the end. This should captivate our attention. And this only comes through believing Jesus. Stand or swept away. It's going down. There's a way off, but it's only through Jesus. I'm coming back to judge all of the whole world, Jesus says, and that includes you. And all who know their sin and believe Jesus will be saved forever. They're the ones that will stand when this is all over. He saves and he protects and he keeps losing not one of those that are his forever. Look to Christ. Give it all to Christ. All of who you are, surrender to him. Remain watchful. Fight the drift. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.